Imagine going zero to 60 miles per hour in 2.1 seconds. 1,001, 1,002, that's fast. Usually that kind of acceleration is only achieved in the most expensive exotic sports cars. Today it can be the experience of many who have purchased a production car of its eccentric founder, one of, if not the richest in the world. You know I'm talking Tesla. When Car and Driver tested the Tesla Model S Plaid, they exclaimed, it's as quick as a multi-million dollar hypercar, matching the quickest car they had ever tested in the quarter mile. That's impressive. There is, of course, an important feature to this car. It's electric. And I was reminded of that at our last men's retreat. As a few of us were standing around talking, a man pulled up in a Tesla with a bit of a worried look, asking us if we knew where a charging station was close by. His was a lesser model than the S Plaid, but it illustrated the point all the same. With all that potential in his car, it would be for nothing if his vehicle wasn't charged up. He's not going anywhere without that power. Of course, you get the parallel, right? This is Pentecost Sunday, a weekend when it's a good time for Christians to remember that we are designed by God to live, not in our own strength, but in the power of the Holy Spirit. This is to be true of all New Testament believers. You need the Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament, God's Spirit would come upon certain people for specific tasks. And that's informative for us. It, it shows us that the Spirit enabled them to do more than would be typical or normal. The first person to be characterized by the Spirit this way is a craftsman, Bezalel, son of Uri, son of Hur, whom God filled with his Spirit with skill, with intelligence, with knowledge, and with all the craftsmanship to help construct the tabernacle of Moses. Note to self, if you work with your hands or in a service ministry, hmm, perhaps the Spirit of God could empower you to do your work in a way that goes beyond your human limitations and gives glory to God too. And yes, in the Old Testament, the Spirit also comes upon specific leaders. There's the story of Gideon. In Judges chapter 6, we find him as one who has little estimation of his family, and even less of himself, but God chooses him. And the Spirit of the Lord comes upon him and he leads a small army to do great exploits. When Israel demands a king, the prophet Samuel anoints a young man for leadership. Saul was humble in the beginning and so in 1 Samuel 10 it talks about, Samuel tells Saul what to expect as signs that this will be true of him. The Spirit of the Lord will rush upon you, he says, and you will prophesy with him and be turned into another man. But Saul becomes self-willed and self-reliant, and so God chooses David to become king. And the Spirit of God departs from Saul, but comes upon David. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. The pattern of the Old Testament, certain people, certain times, certain tasks to accomplish God-sized things. But read the Old Testament record of the general people of God, and it's a story of continual failure and falling short. So the prophets, those who spoke on behalf of God, told of a better day coming when all would be characterized by the Holy Spirit. They all need the Holy Spirit. And so God would provide his Holy Spirit to all. Jesus referred to this as the promise of the Father. But delivering on the promise would require one thing. When Jesus was on earth with his disciples, he tells them this, But now I'm going to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, Where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. 
Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Imagine you're a disciple, you've left all to follow Jesus, and it has been so worth it. You know he's the Messiah, he's God's son, but you didn't see this coming. He's going to depart. And it's better for you that he does? I mean, that feels like when your parents told you broccoli is good for you. No, this is, this is far worse. Jesus says, you have sorrow in your heart, but you got to trust me here. You need the Holy Spirit. If I don't go, the Holy Spirit doesn't come. Jesus' departure was necessary for the promise of the Father to be fulfilled. In a few days from John 16, Jesus is crucified, all looks lost, the movement, a waste. But then, just like he said he would, Jesus rises from the dead. For 40 days, he has these appearances with his disciples where he teaches them about the kingdom of God. And then just before his final departure, he tells them something very important. Acts chapter 1, verse 4. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Think about it. The disciples, I mean, they have to be emotionally charged, right? They have seen the resurrected Jesus, spent time with him. They could never go back. What they have experienced is life-altering in the most powerful way. They would be ready to take on the world. But hold it. Wait. For what? What more could they possibly need? You need the Holy Spirit. There's a lot of things that Jesus tells his disciples that the Holy Spirit does. We did a series here at Central Heights called With Us. You can check it out in our message archives. But in his leaving, Jesus zeroes in on this so important thing. The Spirit empowers us to witness. But you will see power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. The word witness is the word maturus, which means one who bears testimony. Someone, sometimes that is with suffering. You, you can see how this leads to the English word martyr, empowered witnesses. Power comes for a reason. It is connected to Jesus telling his story. They will receive power to be his witnesses. Power to affirm who Jesus is. Power to affirm his message. Power is connected to his mission. Power is connected to this mission, an all-encompassing mission, beginning with their own, Jerusalem, Judea, but spreading to those whom would be outside their circle, the Samaritans, and beyond, the ends of the earth. We know we are in step with the Spirit when we have an all-encompassing vision that is both local, national, and global to see people embrace Jesus as the resurrected Savior, King. And so in Acts 2, as the people have waited, as Jesus told them, in prayer, the Spirit comes. They receive power. They are given languages that others can understand, tongues to proclaim and bear witness to God. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. 
And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each one of us in his own native language? And they would say, We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. This event was hard to interpret. Everyone was amazed and perplexed, but exactly what was going on was difficult to understand. Some even proposed that the disciples upon whom the Spirit had fallen were drunk. So Peter gets up and explains to the people with insight and boldness what is actually happening. This is the fulfilling of God's promise. The Spirit has come. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these men are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Peter also quotes from the Psalms to demonstrate to those that are there what this all means about Jesus. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Hey, everyone knew that Jesus had died. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit was proof that Jesus has risen and that Jesus has ascended to the highest place of authority the right hand of God. Seeing the Spirit, experiencing the Spirit, they could surely know that Jesus is both Lord and Christ. In the same way, the activity of the Spirit in our lives today is to give proof that Jesus we believe in and the Jesus we proclaim is truly the one who has conquered death and rules from heaven at God's right hand. Does the world need to know this testimony? Absolutely. And so we need the Holy Spirit. His activity in our lives bears witness that, it, that all of this is true. In the Bible's book of Acts, the story of the early church is carried forward. And there are these consistent themes, these rhythms that populate its pages. There is the human element, the, the people pray, the people proclaim. And there's the God element, the response and activity of the Holy Spirit bearing witness through the supernatural that what they speak is true. It is not always orderly or scheduled in the way this works. For example, the Spirit only responds after a certain amount and intensity of prayer. But these elements are there. So in Acts chapter 2, as the church is praying, they experience the Spirit. They receive the Spirit. They are baptized in the Spirit. They are filled with the Spirit. The Holy Spirit has come upon them. Look carefully and, and, and you'll see these are all expressions that the Bible seems to use interchangeably. The Spirit bears witness with the miraculous gift of tongues, opening the door for them, Peter in particular, to proclaim Jesus to them. In Acts chapter 3, the apostles, Peter and John, go up to the temple at the hour of prayer. Why would they do that? Um, to pray. They had a regular rhythm of scheduled prayer. And the Spirit is at work in them. And, and so though they had probably passed this lame man at the gate before, it, I mean, it does say he was there daily on this day. 
they proclaim healing to him. And the Spirit bears witness by making the lame man walk, leading to the verbal witness of the apostles to the stunned crowd who have also seen him daily, and now watch the layman run around the temple praising God. The people pray. The people proclaim. And God does his part. The Holy Spirit bears witness, and the man is healed. Hey, Acts chapter 4, and, and the story continues. The stir this healing caused doesn't sit well with the religious leaders. The scripture says they were really greatly annoyed because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And the apostles are confronted and arrested. And this gives opportunity for even more proclamation as they declare words about Jesus that many of us have memorized today. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus. And the apostles are threatened not to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. To which Peter and John reply, hey, we cannot but speak what we have seen and heard. And because the general public were praising God for the healing of the lame man, reluctantly, with further threats, the religious leaders let them go. And what do the believers do in response? What would you do? They pray. It says they lifted up their voices together. They acknowledge God's sovereignty over the world, over all things, even in the face of those who oppose them. And they quote Psalm 2 as part of their prayer. And they ask God to help them do their part as God does his. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. As you read on in the book of Acts, the way in which God's church began, prayer, the Holy Spirit, witnessing the truth, this is also the way that it continues, with the church's witness not only being in words, but in the way in which believers relate to one another. We'll go into this more in the next couple of weeks, but Acts chapter 4 gives us a glimpse. They, they were of one heart and one soul, and no one did without as they cared and looked after one another. The church is living out its purpose to be a spirit-filled community. Don't you want to be like that? Now, like so many things that start off right, over time we can lose our way. We get off mission. We forget the fundamentals. We neglect, we neglect the basics of what, of what got us there. It happens to sports teams, to organizations, businesses, churches, our church. Even the early church we often idealize. In addressing the Christians, the believers in Galatia, Paul has to write, I'm, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ, and you're turning to a different gospel. The Galatian error was that instead of living by grace, they were reverting back to a works-based legalism as a way to live out Christianity, which is not Christianity at all. One way to understand this is that they were trying to live by human effort, rather than by the Spirit. And Paul says, are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? As Christians, we are born by the Spirit, and we are to live by the Spirit. As it was with the church in Galatia, we can all too easily default to our own plans and efforts, 
living disconnected lives from the one who is to be our source of life and power. We are Teslas with all the potential in the world, but we have no charge. And we wonder why our Christian life is not working. We need the Holy Spirit. We all need the Holy Spirit. A.W. Tozer said, the spirit-filled life is not a special deluxe edition of Christianity. It is part and parcel of the total plan of God for his people. As we have seen, for all his people. So how can I live a more spirit-filled life? I want to take the rest of this time to walk through how we can move towards this. Being filled with the spirit is not like a one-time ticket. You have an encounter with God. You're filled and that's that. We saw the church in Acts have this encounter with the Spirit in Acts chapter 2, and then it was said of them in Acts chapter 4, they were filled again. I've had a number of what I can only describe to you as Holy Spirit encounters in my life, and they are beautiful, and they have marked me in a good way. But in that, we are not just looking for an experience, but a way of life that is continually marked by the Spirit. That the Spirit is so evident in our lives, it makes us different, that we would be distinguishable by the Spirit. You cannot prescribe a, a pill for this, but I've observed how the rhythms we have talked about in this series converge to, to come together to this rhythm, a Spirit-filled life. And I do believe that if we were to practice what we have talked about in this series so far, we will be growing in this way. And I'll lay out a few points in which, in a way, are a reminder, but it begins with this, desire. If we, want, if we are to be filled with the Spirit, we have to want to be filled with the Spirit and so want it that we're willing to make adjustments to position ourselves for God's endowment of power in our lives. There needs to be a holy discontent. And frankly, I'm, I'm not sure I see too much of this. We're content to be comfortable, but not discontent with the lack of power in our lives and in our churches. Do we lament the lack of salvations and baptisms, the scarcity of breakthroughs that would bring God more glory? And where is the longing to live holy lives? Maybe you feel in general the Christian church is okay where we are in Canada. Personally, I, I believe there has to be more, but it can't come by our best strategies and human effort, only by the Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit. I'm not saying that we have not been given the Spirit when we are born again. I am saying that we need to live in such a way that the Spirit has full command of our lives and His power is clearly working in and through us. We are, in fact, commanded to live like this. Ephesians 5 says, And be not drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. So if you desire, if you can see, this is how God has always intended His church to live. And you want to live a Spirit-filled life. You already know the pathway, how to get there. But it has to become your priority. Prayer, worship, the word, obedience. In church life, prayer is not the only thing we do, but must be the first thing we do. It can become the very environment of the ministry. It must be our first resolve, not our last resort, if our work is to be marked by the unmistakable power of the Holy Spirit. These are the words of Daniel Henderson. And I've been privileged to pray in a group setting with Daniel a couple of times, and his passion to see the church restored to passionate prayer is contagious. Interestingly, his book is entitled Old Paths, New Power. We need to make the next new thing the first old thing, the practice of prayer. 
He asked the question, why is the wealthiest church in world history declining both in size and cultural influence? His answer, somewhere along the way, unintentionally and gradually, we moved our feet of faith away from the desperate dependence on the resurrection of Christ, away from the Holy Spirit as our only source of power, away from desperate times of prayer. Prayer and worship. In Ephesians 5, the command to be filled with the Spirit is quickly connected to corporate worship. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery or excess, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart. I used to envision being filled with the Spirit as these private moments of encounter with God. But the picture here is that the place and practice of the Spirit's filling is in an environment of worship and gratitude with other believers. This is why if, if we come with a hunger for more of God and to spend time in His presence as we do so with others of faith, we live different than when we arrived. Our times of corporate gatherings are charging stations, prayer, worship, the Word. We have seen how the Holy Spirit wrote the words of the Bible, and I know you can read it and it does nothing for you. I also know that if we come on a regular basis and make the effort to learn it, to, to bring ourselves under it, these words are, as Jesus said in John 6, I, the words I speak to you there, they are spirit and they are life. So that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, Matthew 4. The word of God is, is important to nourish the life of the spirit within us. And it's also the plumb line by which we are to test events and experiences as to whether they are of the Spirit or not. Hey, some of you may be put off by the mere mention of the Holy Spirit because you've experienced people doing weird things in the name of the Spirit that were unbiblical. It's okay to test. The Holy Spirit is not fragile. It's good to check things out. And the Scripture is the basis on which we do that. Prayer, worship, the Word obedience. In Rusha's message two weeks ago, she talked about the importance of letting God sit on the throne of our lives. This is imperative to moving towards a spirit-filled life. In Acts chapter 5, it says that God has given his spirit to those who obey him. We're not talking about earning our salvation through obedience here. The Holy Spirit is a person, a person that we can grieve and, and affect our relationship with so that there is a correlation between God's active presence in our lives and the way in which we are willing to bring ourselves under his word to obey him. I have got to want God more than I want my own way. As we live out these rhythms, there is something that I have incorporated into my daily prayer life, and that is to simply ask. Ask for the Holy Spirit. Ask for the Holy Spirit to fill you. In Luke 11, Jesus encourages his followers to ask and keep on asking, to seek and keep on seeking, to knock and keep on knocking. And then he says, will not the Father who gives good gifts give his Holy Spirit to those who ask him? We need the Holy Spirit. So shall we ask him? Join with me in prayer. God, we come to you today and we are so grateful that you have not left us to ourselves. We thank you that Jesus lived, that he died, that he rose from the dead, 
and that he ascended to your right hand, Father, to a place of power and authority, the place where he poured out the Spirit upon all who believe in you. And today, Lord, we just want to say, we want to push aside all those things, Lord, that tend to fill our lives that are so unnecessary. And we want to make ourselves available and willing vessels. God, would you please fill us with your Holy Spirit once again today. In Jesus' name and for your glory. Amen.